Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Let me give you a few passages to open up to that will be relevant to our teaching. And then I have a comment or two before we actually jump in. If you'd like to turn in your Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1, back in the Old Testament. Then we're going to the New Testament, Acts chapter 2, and then we will end up in Ephesians chapter 6. 1 Samuel chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, Ephesians 6. Actually, you'll notice when we get into the teaching, we're going to read a quick verse in Ephesians chapter 6, so don't question whether or not you wrote down the the references right. Uh, While you're turning there, let me just make a quick add to something Pastor Spencer said about Worship 101. Um, I'm not even going to try to get into it because I'll get lost in the description. Like him, it was different than any praise and worship night that we've ever experienced. Uh, Not just in the experience, but in what the Lord led uh, the worship team and Pastor Spencer to put together and how he orchestrated the night. And I'm going to highlight the fact that the uh, kind of a prophetic sense or a prophetic word that we got was it was like the loaves and fishes that that was the first night that we brought this to the Lord but there's a multiplication that will happen and let me tell you how passionate that we feel about it this is going to be ambiguous but just so you know the direction I'm I'm we're so passionate and we're so convicted by what the Lord did and what he's promised that I know many of you weren't able to be here uh, but we're going to bring it to you and we're, we're going to figure this out because we, we can't just settle for what happened on that night. It was the first step. But I'm telling you, it was significant to what the, the Lord's doing in our congregation. So we'll come back. Hopefully next week I'll, I'll give you a more clear announcement. We're going to figure out how to bring this to you because I don't want anybody in this church to miss this. Uh, there's something so powerful that's being translated. Again, not the experience only. That's awesome but what the Lord did in helping us to understand and intentionally take a step deeper into the presence of the Lord. So, all right, got your scriptures you can open up to. We're in lesson number five in a series called Building a Strong Christian Life, and uh, we're learning to develop a passion for spiritual disciplines. And you have a workbook that goes along with that, by the way, if you're new to the church, those are free. Uh, There's no commitments. You can grab one off, but it'll help you today, especially you should be able to follow along. That's not always the case. Uh, somebody said one time, that's a lot of information, you know, and well, not, not really. I mean, if you look at it, you know, and you're trying to follow a, a kind of a little outline where fill in the blanks, it's not that kind of a study, but you can open to any one of those lessons and in about 10 minutes, you can just read through it. They're very easy to follow through. Uh, you can read through it or you can get lost in it and look up a bunch of the supporting scriptures and answer the, you know, the questions that help you to think and develop. So you, you can take 10 minutes and read through and get the heartbeat or you can go all the way and, and, uh, and just get deeper in it. But they're there for, for your help. And this morning would be one of those where you should be able to connect the dots and follow through and take some notes uh, if that'll help you. But the whole premise of the series is kind of like following a recipe. Uh, the New Testament has spiritual ingredients, or actually they're called disciplines, but because that's such an off-putting word to some people, they're, they're disciplines that when we incorporate these into our life, when we begin to pull these in and say, boy, that, that's how the Bible says that we should live, 
The Holy Spirit takes these things and uses them to shape us, to strengthen us, to sustain us, to satisfy us, and bring us into this supernatural life in Christ. I mean, things actually happen. We're like, man, I have a relationship with a living God, and it's not just a religion anymore. And, and I've talked to a couple people, and they say, you know, I, we're totally on board, Pastor. We get it. The, you know, the information, the scriptures all make sense. And, but that was 2,000 years ago. And there's like other, other preachers and other people that are saying, yeah, that was back then. We kind of need to update it. And, and I won't argue with one little tiny perspective there about making sure we stay relevant. But here's what I want you to understand loud and clear. The words of God are timeless. That God himself said they last forever. They stand. In fact, when we go to heaven, those words will still be the governing factors in how the, the kingdom of heaven works. And I want you to understand, even though the culture changes from season to season, generation to generation, the spiritual development principles do not. Never have, never will. The way God did it in the New Testament, in the Old, and then into the New Testament is the way he's doing it today. And as we can understand that, then we'll experience the same thing that they experienced. It's also important that you remember this is an overview. So we're looking at 10 principles. We're kind of getting the, the big gist of what the, these things are about. And the goal is for us to rediscover and to reassess our lives and to reignite a passion for each of these ingredients. But the goal is not to fully develop in all 10 of these in 10 weeks. That's just not going to happen. And I don't want you to feel that pressure. So here's what you will experience if you're leaning in and saying, Holy Spirit, talk to me, and you're, you're listening to the Word of God. You're going to experience times of conviction. That's a good thing. With the Holy Spirit saying, yeah, we, we got to work on this one. Or you don't like that one so much, you don't even want to talk about it or think about it, but it's a necessary ingredient. So you're going to have those times of conviction where the Holy Spirit kind of points to something and says, I want, want, to, move, I want to move you forward in that. But listen to me, don't ever, ever uh, accept anything that has condemnation attached to it. And you'll know the difference because one pulls you in where you hear the Holy Spirit saying, come closer, let me work with you. And the other has thoughts like, well, Obviously, I'm not doing it right, so I'm sure God's frustrated with me and doesn't want to have anything to do with me. That's condemning. That's pushing you away from God. And Romans chapter 12, verse 2 is really clear. If you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, there's never, ever, 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 ever one single moment in your life where you should accept condemnation. Never. So anytime you feel like something's pushing you away from God, that's not God. That's either your own misunderstanding of who God is, or there's an enemy whispering in your ear trying to get you distanced away from the very one who wants to help you. So we run to God at all points. We never, ever, ever run away. Well, today we're going to talk about a passion of prayer. And this is kind of important that it follows uh, the whole idea of a passion of worship, because really the two are inseparable. Really understanding who God is and learning to, to create a thank, thankful heart and to tell the story about how great he, he is and the great things that he's done and the great things that he's promised and things you've already experienced in other people around you and keeping those at the forefront of our mind to the point where something happens in our heart and our heart begins to soften and our heart begins to, to become tender before him and it opens us up to worship to where we are literally adoring. We're falling in love with him all over again. We're deeply appreciating and relying and becoming vulnerable to him because thanksgiving and praise has reminded us, in spite of all the stuff that's going on and all the stuff we're feeling, he's a faithful God. 
He's a, he's a powerful God. He's a loving God. He's a gracious God. And worship begins to, 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 uh, to flow from that. Well, that's important that we understand because today we're going to talk about a passion for prayer. And I want to start off in Ephesians chapter 6. Remember, that'll be the ending scripture, but we're just going to look at it real quick to bounce off some things. And here's what the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to the end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now, I'm just going to ask a rhetorical question. You're welcome to respond if you want, but even if you don't, I'm pretty sure I know what your answer is. If you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, how many of you know we need prayer? I mean, I just mean we need people to pray for us. We need to understand how do we pray? How do we communicate and connect? If you're kind of like, well, I don't know. Hey, wake up. Look what's going on in the world around us. Matthew 24, Jesus said, as we get closer to the end, you, the world's going to start contracting like a lady that's having birth. And those contractions are going to be pretty serious and pretty weighty and oftentimes have impact on our everyday life and the people around us. And so right now we've got some economic challenges. We're trying to come out of a pandemic and it seems to just keep layering and layering. And Jesus said, yeah, that's going to keep happening more and more in the last days. This is not the last one. Not only that, but economic upheaval and wars and rumors of wars. How many of you know we should be praying every day for what's going on in Russia and Ukraine right now? People are suffering. People are losing their lives. This thing is crazy. And there's other countries that are trying to make a decision. Do we jump in? Do we not jump in? And then there's bigger, larger countries that are watching to see what's going on to posture themselves, to step in and become, you know, a, a, a superpower at another level in the world. All these things the Bible said is going to happen. And we need prayer. We need to understand how to communicate with God more than we ever have. And so that's certainly true in the life of every strong believer, even if all these things weren't going on. In order to become a victorious Christian, we have to develop a passion for prayer. Prayer. I don't mean just to pray. We've got to become passionate about it. Now, real quick, just for clarification, don't confuse a passion for prayer with a commitment to religiously reciting prayers. Some Protestant or Catholic backgrounds, they kind of teach that, right? Take this prayer and say it 37 times and something's supposed to happen. And, and listen to me, I'm not bashing on reciting prayers. That's a scriptural thing, by the way. You, you can take a, a pre-written prayer and you can, with all your heart, pray that to the Lord. And that counts just as much as spontaneous stuff. And I want you to understand that's true. But where a passion for prayer leans in and, uh, and engages a deep, trusting relationship with God, simply religiously reciting prayers kind of hopes, like crosses their fingers, that somehow if we do these pious things, and if we do them enough time, that God is going to smile, God is going to bless. You don't know if he will, there's no guarantees, but we kind of hope that he will. And so we just keep doing this over and over again to try to get God's favor. That's not what the Bible talks about when it talks to pray, about prayer. So the Bible talks to, talk to us that we, we should be personal. It should be intimate in our prayer. We're going to look at that more extensively in a moment. But the New Testament especially says, once you understand how personal and how intimate the prayer exchange should be, the conversation, the relational interaction between you and this living God, he says, then I want you to learn to do that all the time. It doesn't mean you're actually walking around saying prayer words all the time. 
but it means I want you to live in this intimate state of constant communication and conversation all the time. I don't want you to let it shallow out. I don't want you to let there be hiding places where "Ah, I can't really talk to him about that. I want you to put everything on the table and live as if you are in an all-in vulnerable relationship with a God who loves you with all of his heart. And he says, I want you to learn to live, to live like this all the time. In fact, it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what's going on. It doesn't matter how you feel. He said, I want you to stay in constant communication and conversation with me. Sometimes there are extended periods where we sit and we have a devotional time and we're literally praying to the Lord, reading prayers and, and praying out of our heart. And other times it's a quick step to the side for a minute. Like you would call a friend and say, come here, come here real quick. Before we start this meeting, just let me talk to you about something. It's that kind of a thing. Like, Lord, Lord, I just need to, to ask you a question or I need to, to ask you for help or wisdom or strength in this situation. It's those kinds of things, but they're heartfelt and they're, they're engaging with one another. And, the, and so that's what we're going to look at today. What does that really look like and what does that mean, especially from a biblical point of view? So for the rest of the time, we're going to look at three truths about Bible prayer. Three truths about this prayer that God talks about and describes. And then uh, when we get done with the third one, you'll know we're done with almost the whole message. And we're going to look quickly at four reasons why Christians don't pray. Because we wouldn't need to teach about this if everybody was praying, right? But there's a whole lot of Christians that know prayer is important. That would tell you, absolutely, prayer is important. Yeah, we, we should be doing that. And then if we're super honest, would, by the way, stand real, be real still so nobody knows that I'm, I might be talking about you, uh, we don't pray. Like ever. Uh, maybe for the meals, right? Maybe in times of desperation, where it's more emotion than it is actual conversation. Kind of begging, please, 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 help, 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 help. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. That's real relational stuff. But the communication, the ongoing conversation with God, listen, Christians know more today about prayer than they ever have in the history of the world, and statistics say Christians pray less than we ever have in the history of the world. And and there's a a discrepancy there, and we've got to understand why, so we're going to look at least four reasons why, and maybe uh, one of them will help you uh, to move forward in your prayer life. So the first thing we're going to look at is what, what is prayer, and I said there were four truths. Here's the first one. Prayer is an intimate exchange with God. That's really simply put, but it lines up with the most prominent word for prayer used in the New Testament, and that's this Greek word prosuke. And and the first part of the word pros literally is proximity. It means we're not having a distant conversation. This is not something done over text or over email or writing a letter and, you know, kind of across the miles. The word pros, every time it's used, shows shows proximity. And it means this is too important to let distance get in the way so we come as close as we can possibly get. It's like you talking to your friend or maybe your spouse and saying, hey, I need to talk to you about something. Well, go ahead, shoot. No, 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 not right here. Can we just plan some time? Can we, can we go sit down in a quiet place? Can we grab a cup of coffee or something? And I just need to lean in. That's the word pros. It means to intentionally come really close to. And then the word uke means to open up your heart, to be vulnerable, to just share from the depths of who you are what you're thinking and what you're feeling and, and what you're needing. And so just, just, to, to, just to give your request there, when you put them together again, it, it's, it's painting a picture of somebody who draws near to the Lord to express a desire, to express a need, and sometimes that's even including to make a vow. Lord, I, I promise you, if you'll do this for me, then this is what I'm willing to bring to the table and to surrender. 
And, and when you take that further, it, it really paints a picture of a desperation. Somebody is so desperate for this interaction with God and whatever it is that they need, for an answer to their prayer legitimately. Not talking about a warm, fuzzy feeling, you know, Lord, just help me for today, or Lord, give me a good night's sleep. And we're not talking about that. Talk about someone who comes and is so legitimately craving and needing not just the, 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 the stuff or the thing, but the relational support, the recognition that God is doing this out of his heart, not because there's a twisted arm somewhere. But, but it, it's that, that you're, you're so desperate for that, that you're willing to surrender anything and everything, put everything on the table. Hey, listen, if I'm looking at this all wrong, then just completely rearrange my perspective. You're willing to exchange anything that you need, starting with yourself. And so you don't bring some demand to the table. You bring some request to the table with all of your heart and say, listen, if, if you can see a better way, if you know something that I don't know, share that with me. But I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm putting myself in front of you. I'm wide open to what you want. Now, there's lots of examples and certainly a lot of instruction in the Bible, especially the New Testament. But I'm going to go back to that First Samuel passage that I asked you to open up to uh, because there's just a story that just seems to capture not only the heart but all of the, the elements that goes into this kind of intimate prayer. And it's the story of a lady named Hannah in the Bible who's been desperately wanting a child for years. She's, I mean, she, she's just longing, longing, and it's not happening, it's not happening. And if you think that's devastating in the lives of people today, back then, that was a cultural measurement of the blessing and the favor of God. So if you, didn't, if you were barren or you couldn't have children, it wasn't just that aching disappointment that some people feel because they, they're not able to, to, you know, to have a family of their own in that sense. But it was a mark on society. Some, with, something's wrong in your life. There's something not right. There's something that passed down in the lineage and, and for some reason you're outside of the favor and the grace of God. So she's been begging and begging and begging for this. And just listen to a couple of verses in 1 Samuel chapter 1 verse 10 says, Hannah was in deep anguish and she was crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord and she made a vow. She even brought, brought to him and said, listen, if you'll do this, I promise you. And here was the vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and you will answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you and he will be yours for his entire lifetime. Now, when you think about that exchange and, and not just, you know, reading something and just letting it go by, but climb into it. Think about this lady. I mean, on her knees, tears just streaming down her face. You know, her hair's all messed up, and she's, she's broken before the Lord, and she's begging and begging, please, please, just, just look, look at what's, what it's doing to me. Look at, what, look at my heart. L listen to the sincerity and the authenticity. She's begging him when you understand that. And here's something I'll point out that's not as quickly visible. When you understand that she's not coming to the Lord just in her emotion and her desperation, but she's coming in faith. She's coming in confidence that God will listen, even to the point that she's willing to surrender something to the Lord in response. When you take all that together, that's kind of the deepest part of the heartbeat of this intimate exchange that God's looking for in prayer. It's not that we always have to beg and plead, but we have to come with that level of vulnerability. We're not holding anything back. We're not trying to, you know, look good or put a good spin on this or somehow, you know, come up with a prayer that sounds super great and God's going to be so impressed that he's got to do it this time. But it's just coming with all of our heart kind of unbridled and untethered. But it's also important that, to, to note that she's not just praying with her emotion and passion. 
And that's really important because in the New Testament, James chapter 4 tells us that's one of the best ways to not get your prayer answered. Is if you're just praying out of your emotion. God loves your emotion. God wants you to come vulnerable and pray with your emotion. But sometimes we're, we're just emotional. And so in the moments of challenge or discomfort or crisis, you know, there's a panic there. And we're like, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. And we don't, I promise I'll do this. And we don't mean any of it. We don't even know what we're saying. We're just letting the emotions bubble out. And so the emotion's not the problem. We're not supposed to be emotionless, but we're not supposed to be just full of emotion. And the Bible says in James 4, if you do that, you're not praying targeted prayer. There's not coherence here. God will see your heart. God wants to bring peace and comfort. But as far as what you're actually getting at, many times you don't even know. You just don't want to hurt anymore. You just don't want to be afraid. You don't even know. So you're not taking the time to have those coherent conversations with God. Sometimes, you know, couched in all of this emotion and all of this desperation. Lord, maybe I'm missing this, but you got to come and help me. But listen, she was also basing it in not just a surrender to God of her personhood, but a surrender to God's plan. Because she's basing this on Old Testament covenant promises. And if you've been here for a little bit, we just went through a whole series on how important this covenant is. Let me read you just a couple. Now, they're all over the Old Testament. Let me read you a couple of Old Testament promises that Hannah carried in her heart. And she knew how God felt about this, which gave her more of of substance in her prayer when she came to the Lord with all this tears and this anguish. Deuteronomy 7.14 says, this is God speaking or speaking through Moses, you will be blessed above all the nations of the earth. Listen to this. None of your men or women will be childless. In fact, even all your livestock will bear young. The blessing of the Lord, I'm not even going to let your livestock not multiply. I'm going to put blessing on you so that you can fully flourish. Psalm 113 verse 9 uh, praises or tells the story of God and says he gives the childless woman a family, making her a happy mother. And then it says, praise the Lord for that. So Hannah's going with all of this in her heart. Now, listen, in case you say, well, that's great for the Old Testament. Listen, Hebrews chapter 8 verse 6, the back half says that Jesus is the one who right now is mediating our covenant. And this is a covenant that's based, that, that's better, a better covenant with God than the Old Testament. And it's based on better promises. So my, my, my encouragement is, if you have these things you're going through, why don't you just take a minute And get into the Bible and say, what did God already promise? What did he say about this? So when I go to him, I have a sense of what his overall heart is, what what he's already laid out in the big broad plan. And I can say, Lord, I, I know that you want this for my life. And then pour it out honestly and authentically to him. That's a big part of what God's saying. So the first part of prayer is recognizing it's not just reciting prayers cold and, you know, just just kind of a a literary um, uh, delivery to him. But it's not just, it's not emotionally just flubbering all over ourselves either. That somewhere in the middle of that real, raw, authentic presentation there's also somewhat of an awareness and a surrender to God. I'm trying to understand and I want to step into what your plan is for me. And this is really, really important. And so it leads us to number two. When you come to the Lord like that, when you surrender yourself clumsily, authentically, raw, and unbridled your emotion, but with a little bit of, sense, of a sense of who God is and what he's already promised, then number two is God answers prayer. In fact, let me upgrade that one for you. God always always answers prayer. Always. 
God's a faithful God. He would be an abusive father if he said, come to me anytime. And then you do, and he just ignores you. He, I mean, just crickets, nothing. But listen, the Bible promises over and over, always, always, always answers prayer. In fact, we're going to stay in Hannah's story for a minute. Uh, we find out that once she postured herself in faith, once she fully surrendered, didn't hold anything back, just laid it on the table, crying and, and you know, in anguish to the Lord, listen to me, and inviting her into a situation, the Bible says that God heard and answered her request. And that's a consistent theme all the way through the Bible, Old Testament and New. In fact, listen to what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 20. It says, and in due time, I would imagine it's at least nine months, right? And in due time, she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, which actually translate asked of God. But she tells us that, for she said, I asked the Lord for him. So he became a living testimony. I mean, she's, she's nursing him and, and changing him and helping him to grow in the infant stage. The whole reminder is, this is a miracle of God. This is what it means when you come to God and you lay your heart out there that God is a faithful God and he answers and he responds to you every single time. In fact, you can read the rest of the chapter and you find out that Samuel was weaned and she kind of held on to him just long enough to get him into the preschool age or the, the kindergarten age and then she brought him back to the temple and she dedicated him back to the Lord and he lived under the instruction of, 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 the, of, the, of the temple religious leaders and he eventually became one of the greatest prophets in Israel. We have so much that we glean from Samuel. In fact, so much so that it's said of Samuel in the Bible that Samuel understood so much about this prayer and this engaging with God that, listen to this, it said not one of his words ever fell to the ground. When Samuel spoke, God responded every single time because he understood something. He grew up in this. He realized, I'm a product of this. And so he learned to engage that. Now, I want to give you two thoughts because I know some of you are like, ah, I hear that. And man, I totally believe the Bible, but I got all this stuff. I got all these times that I prayed and I nothing, just, just nothing. And I know other people have prayed and it's just nothing. In fact, I'm kind of in one of those right now. I'm feeling that. Let me give you two thoughts, okay? Number one, God always, always, always answers prayer. That's not my, you know, experience only. That's the Bible, but, but let me help you to understand this. There's at least three answers that you're going to get from the Lord. One of them is yes. Ooh, we all love those. We, we love the yes, right? And remember in uh, Hannah's case, in due time, we don't know what due time is, at least nine months, but it may take a little while to conceive and then nine months later. And so yes from the Lord doesn't mean tomorrow morning. It means I got you and I'm putting this thing in motion. But there's also these times where the Lord says no. Always with an explanation, but not necessarily in the moment where you can feel, or this is not it. And you get to go back to him and say, okay, then talk to me. Then, then tell me what you want me to do. Cause man, I'm, I'm like stuck here and I'm, my heart's, my heart's anguishing over this. And here's the third one that we, we, you know, is a little more ambiguous at, at first. If you don't understand this, uh, God says things like it's not yes, it's not no. It's something like not now. Or it's, hey, I, I'm willing to work towards that with you. There's some other stuff. Pastor Spencer was talking about, we're going to talk about a passion for giving. And now some people don't understand the kingdom economy and the Bible principles. 
and, and they don't understand the basics in budget. So a uh, lots of time, and I'm not saying this to throw stones, I lived there for a little bit of my life, but uh, lots of their prayers is, God, I just need more money, I just need more money, I just need more money, I just need more money. And the Lord would always say to me, totally want to do that for you, but I need to talk to you a little bit about stewardship. Let's get your budget in line so when I give you more money, it's going to work for you instead of just overcomplicate life even more. And so there's sometimes God says yes, sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says not yet or, hey, let's work together towards that. But listen to me, God will always, always, always answer prayer. In fact, let, let, me, just, let me just read you this in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. And remember, this is the Bible telling us this is how it is. This is actually the truth, and here's what it says there. Now this is the confidence that we have in him. If we're being super honest, one of the things that Christians lack when it comes to prayer is confidence. It's like, I wish, I hope he hears me, I would love for that to happen, but he says, no, 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 there's a confidence that we can develop in this interaction, this intimate exchange with our God. He says, this is the confidence that we have in him, listen to this, if we ask anything, and a lot of Christians stop right there, see that, if we ask anything, no, no, anything according to his will. Well, how do we know what his will is? Got a whole book right here. Whole book. You can even get some cheap, you know, kind of, kind of the, the cliff note version. Go get one of those Bible promise books. It just outlines things. The big broad. Doesn't mean God's going to do that for you today. This might be one of those, yeah, I want to work towards you. Let's, let's work towards that together. But the Bible promise book outlines this big thing of the, that God promises. This is what I want to see happen in your life. It says, so this is the confidence we have. If we have, ask anything according to his will, here's what we know. We know he hears us. I didn't feel like it doesn't matter. Yeah, but it's like my prayer. It doesn't matter. We know in faith, boy, God hears us because we know this, this is the big picture of what he wants to do. But verse 14 goes on and says, and if we know that he hears us, Again, how do we know that he hears us? Because we're asking according to his will. If we know that he hears us, then listen, whatever we ask, we know that we will have the petitions that we've asked of him. Now, we may not get it on Monday. It may take a little bit. Maybe we've got to work out some other stuff, but we know God says, I'm in. I'll answer you, and I'm all in on this. But, but here's a second thought about God always answering prayer. Uh, some of you may be saying, yeah, but I'm waiting for God to answer my prayer. I've been praying. I'm, I've been doing my devotion saying, God, answer my prayer. It's possible that God did answer your prayer. You just don't like the answer. That happens to all of us, right? That's real sneaky. And so we think, well, that can't be the Lord. That can't be the Lord. And we just keep praying, keep praying. And, and we, it just keeps coming back over and over. Maybe it's the no. Well, that, that's not what I want to hear because I really want this thing. Or maybe it's the, hey, we got some things to work on. Let, let's, let's kind of start moving that direction. No, no, no. I, I just want you to do it right now. So God always answers prayer, but it's really possible that you don't like the answer. By the way, how would I know that? Get real quiet. Push your emotions to the side and all those desires, you know, that are, that are clouding the issue. And listen to what the Lord's saying in your heart. You know. Most of the time we already know. But, but here's another one. Uh, another one could be that he's waiting for you to put the faith in his promise, go see what did he already say, and to fully surrender your heart. And we'll see that as we look at four reasons why sometimes pride gets in the way. We don't want to fully surrender, right? We don't want to look bad. We don't want to look bad in front of God. We, we don't want to have to get, get raw and get real about this. We don't want to be desperate for the Lord. We, we just want him to kind of help us a little bit, but we got it after that. And it's like, no, no, th this relationship with him opens up our heart and says, God, if you ever walk away from me, I'm done. I'm just done. 
Even if I can keep going on some of the externals, right? My business does great and it looks like from the outside, the internal begins to wither away. But we're, we're, we're so grateful the Lord said he never will, never will. By the way, this whole confidence that God always answers prayer when we come fully surrendered, when we come in faith to him, that he always answers prayer, is what gave the New Testament church such an addiction to prayer. And I'm using that intentionally because I think it was back in the earlier lessons, lesson number two, we, we read Acts 2.42 that says this, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And we looked at the actual the Greek language in that continued steadfastly, and we, we realized it, it, come, it talks about such an intentional focus and in such a consistent diligent that it really carries the idea of addiction. Like they got to the point where they, they can't not pray. And by the way, you understand this because you may have some relationships with best friends or, or you know, maybe your spouse or some of your relatives that are so close. If anything interrupts that, they get sick or they move somewhere or the job changes and you don't get that regular stream of phone calls and let's have coffee and we're just kind of hanging out. Boy, you, you can feel the loss, something, because you're addicted in a good way but you're addicted to these healthy relationships and healthy conversations, the New Testament church became addicted to it because they were so confident this stuff works. God really listens, and he really answers, and we're, we're looking at him, man. Our lives are changing, and they became literally addicted to that. By the way, if you've got a workbook and you want to look more about the early church, uh, there's an appendix all the way in the back, where a whole other thing where you can just read through scripture after scripture and see what that meant. So truth number one, that uh, prayer is an intimate exchange with God. Truth number two, God always answers prayer. Here's truth number three, that prayer should be consistent, should be constant and consistent constant and consistent. This is where we started in Ephesians chapter 6, where it says in verse number 18, Paul is encouraging or really admonishing uh, the church at Ephesus, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And, and the word supplication is important. It means to push aside your pride, to push aside what you think should happen, your preference, and well, this is how I need it to go. Push all that to the side and to just earnestly lay your heart out there for the Lord. It means you're surrendering fully to the Lord, but I want you to notice he says that's how you're always supposed to be. And the word always literally means at every opportunity, in every circumstance, uh, in every season, in every situation, there shouldn't be anything that happens in life, big or small, that you don't have an intimate conversation with the Lord about, that you're not willing to go and lay this out to him. And, and that's really important. And it says to pray, to always pray with all prayer. And, and this particular instruction literally means we're supposed to use every kind of prayer available. Now again, another one of those appendices in the back, we didn't have time to cover it here, talks about just like in our everyday communication, there's different types of communication with the Lord. Don't get all weird and legalistic about that, but you know the difference between, like, if, you know, if I'm going to take my wife out and, hey, I just want to go out and spend some time with you. I just want to talk about a few things. What do you want to talk about? Well, sometimes there's actual things I want to talk about. And that, you know, that would have kind of a systematic and, and this, and then I thought that, and then you said this, and I just want to make sure that. And other times, like, nothing really. I just want to talk. And we just haven't really talked. We've been going so fast. We just haven't spent any time. There's all different kinds of communication. Sometimes I want to do all the talking because I want to share some things that are in my heart. 
that, are, that I've, I've just gotten so big I can't hold them in anymore. Sometimes it'd be how much I love and appreciate her and I see the things she does behind the scenes and they're so meaningful to me. And other times it's like, I want to share just an idea and I want your response. I want you to hear all different kinds of communication. And there's at least six of them listed back there in that appendix that will help you with this. But let me come back uh, to, to this Ephesians six eighteen again. One scholar expanded it this way to say, praying, all, praying in every moment at any time, wherever you get the opportunity and doing it with every kind of prayer that's available uh, for you to use. And here's what it's saying, that God wants us to develop this addiction to conversation with him. He wants us to be so confident that he listens. The moment you whisper his name, the moment you enter his gates with thanksgiving and come into his courts with praise, the moment that, that, that he, he inhabits that praise and he says, what do you want to talk about? What can I do for you today? What do you need? He legitimately does that. And he wants us to become so addicted to this that our prayer never gives up, that our prayer never stops, that we don't get discouraged. We're, well, I'm in this conversation with the Lord. I don't know. We, we still got some things we need to talk about, but, but, I, but I know he hears my heart. And I know he's listening to me and he'll help me work it out because this is what God's looking for all the time. And we should be doing it every chance we get with every opportunity. Now, I want to connect one dot and then we're going to look at some reasons uh, quickly why we don't. When you step back and you think about the things that, that the Bible's describing about prayer, listen to me, you'll recognize this is a, a recipe for any and every healthy, intimate relationship. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say this, that I bet you that any and every relational breakdown that you're experiencing, or a shallowing out where you go, I just wish that, you know, that we were closer, I, I just wish that wasn't a white elephant, like we couldn't talk about that, I wish we just were back like when we first got to know each other, and any breakdown that you have, or any shallowing out you have, is because of communication. Somewhere along the line, something was said, and you stopped talking. Something was demonstrated and you stopped listening. And that vulnerability to come and just lay down your pride, doesn't matter who's right, doesn't matter who's wrong, it just matters that this thing gets healed. That stopped. And you just kind of settled and said, oh, well, it is what it is. I guess that's just who we are and that's the best it's going to get. Listen to me, that's not true and that's not what God wanted. But in the New Testament church, these guys were just all in. And they knew it wasn't always a yes, sometimes it was a no, sometimes it let's work this out, but they knew that God always listened if they would open their heart and just share, for, you know, authentically that he always met them there and he listened. But the unfortunate thing is 2,000 years have passed. I don't know how many sermons have been preached, how many books have been written, how many prayer gatherings have been experienced. I, I don't, I, we don't, how, how do you calculate all that? But here's what we do know that we know more about prayer in this generation than we ever have, have more resources to educate us. But again, statistics say, and I'm not letting statistics drive this, but these are people that will admit they don't pray. Why? I mean, it's such an incredible offer, and yet we just don't pray. And why? And so I'm going to give you four quick reasons to consider, not indicting anybody, but four possible reasons. The first one's ignorance. I know it's kind of a, just a brash, you know, right out of the chutes, just wow, there it is. And, but it's ignorance, but, but it's, not, it's not always a lack of information. Lots of times over the 2,000 years, we've got a lot of religious teaching that's clouded this thing. We've got a lot of emotional, passionate preaching that's clouded some of these things. And listen to me, many, many Christians overestimate the difficulty of developing a passionate and an intimate relationship with God. 
ah, that's just too hard. I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to pray. Like, I don't know enough scripture. And yeah, it just gets real complicated. It's not. It has a lot of moving parts, just like any other healthy relationship. You have to work at it. You have to understand some things about who you're connecting with and, and how you talk to them. But listen to me, it's not overcomplicated, but our ignorance try, tries to make it seem like that. Let's just be, let's just kind of step back and ask us maybe even a silly question, but it's a big question. Who can be easier to talk to than the one who made you? Who knows what you're thinking before you're thinking? Not only that, who recorded to you what he's thinking and he started the conversation. Well, here, here's what I just want you to know. Here's where I stand and here's what I have planned for you. So, and he never changes. So you don't have to worry about, well, that's, that's what he said last time, but who knows if he's in the same frame of mind. He never changes. Never adjusts. Who could be easier to talk to? Who could be better to talk to than the judge of all the earth? that pulls all the strings, that the Bible says puts one person up and puts another person down, that directs the hearts of kings wherever he wants them to go. Who could be better to talk to? Who could be better to talk to than the one who's chased you your whole life? Who gave everything he had just to fix a broken relationship in case you were willing to accept it and be close to him? Who could be easier to talk to than the one that James says lusts? passionately thinks about it all the time to the point he becomes envious when he sees you're giving your time to everything and everybody else but not him he's that jealous boyfriend he's that jealous husband who just says i I just want some of your time i don't know what i got to do what what else can i do how can i posture this i mean who else would be easier to talk to than someone who's that passionate and when you think about all that you spell it out you know our response is i know i know i know it doesn't make any sense well listen to what hosea 4 6 says about ignorance it says my people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge we, we, we just don't allow the Lord to help us. And what we want to happen ends up falling apart or eroding or becoming wobbly because we're not just putting our trust in, a, in an interaction with God who, who wants to help. But we just don't take the time to do that. And so it's really not connecting the dots, which leads me to reason number two, and that's unbelief. And it's right here in this same scripture in Hosea 4, 6. The back half says, first part says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. But listen to this, because you have rejected knowledge. Now see, that's a whole different animal, right? Ignorance is, I I didn't know. Or I haven't connected the dots. I got all these facts that are floating around, but I've just never lined it up to where it was this aha moment. Like, oh, yeah, why didn't I think? Why didn't I understand that? Why didn't I think about that? So ignorance is, I just haven't connected all dots, but unbelief is, now I know the truth, but listen, but I choose not to accept the truth. Why would a Christian ever do that? And let me give you some reasons why. It's usually not a hardened of a heart, you know, thumbing your nose at God. I will never ask you for anything. It's not that. It's usually because they underestimate just how deep and authentic the love and the passion of God is. It's oftentimes because they, they, they're clueless, listen, about the binding covenant, the binding agreement in blood that God signed when he didn't have to, making you completely confident that if he said something, he'll do it. And just not understanding just how real that is and learning to lean into it. And, and then here, here's the last one, not recognizing that there's no inconvenience for God anytime you need him with the smallest thing in the middle of the night to these giant earth-shaking things, the moment you whisper his name, God's that father that's up and down the hall. 
swooping you up into his arms. See, they, they don't understand these things. In fact, Matthew 13 tells this really sad story that Jesus goes into his own hometown and he begins preaching and uh, reading from the scrolls of Isaiah and letting them know, hey, listen to me, I'm the Messiah. And today, God is here to begin setting you free and healing and restoring. And the Bible says that as much as they were impressed by Jesus, they just couldn't accept the reality that he was who he was claiming to be. And because of that, they forfeited the power of God that was prepared to deliver them and demonstrate itself right there in that moment. They walked away empty-handed when Jesus was prepared to empty himself out. And so that's unbelief. Happens all the time. Happens in church services, right? When we're we're sensing the Holy Spirit move and we've got this need and and there's opportunity for prayer. There's opportunity to lift our arms and surrender to the Lord and and go up and be prayed for. And we just kind of pull that back in. We're rejecting the offer that God has. Not, not, Not like, you know, angrily or adamantly, or, but we're rejecting. And the Bible says that rejection is an unbelief, and because of that, we will forfeit the blessing that God has for us. Here's the third one. It's time. But it's not really time, right? That's just the one we always say. That's right. I would love to develop prayer life, but just know my schedule. I have no time. No time. Here's the reality of it, okay? Every person on planet Earth has 168 hours a week. And God was so good because that's just this huge number, right? So he divides them up, and we get them in 24-hour allotments. And 24 hours ends and the next one starts. But all totals the same thing, 168 hours a week. And while every opportunity, every hour represents this opportunity, listen to me, for a one-on-one meeting with the king of the universe. He's not waiting for you to make an appointment. He's like literally waiting for you to wake up, to, to come to him. I mean, he, he's already at the appointment. He's waiting for you. And we have, every hour represents a little opportunity to meet and connect with him, um, the judge of the heavens, the one that can make the decisions for you. But listen to me, it's not that we don't have the time, we underestimate the value of taking time to meet with God. And let me tell you why I know that, because things are happening in all of our lives that are out of the normal scheduled routine, and we're figuring it out, and we're adjusting, and we're calling to make an appointment with the doctor, calling to make an appointment with the lawyer, calling to make an appointment with HR to talk about a job situation. We're making all these appointments because we can see the value. If I can just get in and explain what's going on, I think we have a case, and I think they'll give us a little bit, but we don't see the value in meeting with God. Because it's back to that, we're really not confident that he's really listening. We're throwing prayers up and cross your fingers, maybe today's the day he'll, you know, he'll be smiling with me. But we don't understand the commitment and the consistency of the relationship he's offering. And so it becomes more of a value thing. But listen to what Ephesians chapter 5, again, Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. Listen to what he says. He says, awake, O sleeper. In other words, he's saying, wake up. Wake up. He said, and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Verse 15, so be careful how you live, and don't live as fools, but like those who are wise. And here's what he means, verse 16, making the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Some translations expand that and say, especially in days that are evil. I think these days qualify. I think these days and where the Bible promises we'll be heading either steadily and more, more uh, accelerated or we'll be heading in intervals as these contractions keep coming. We're desperate for time with God. And, and listen, the Bible's saying, wake up. God wants to talk to you. He wants to share with you. 
And so we, we just, we use this as an excuse. Well, it's just time. It's time. Well, kind of, but not really. It's value. Because we'll make time for the things that we value. Here's the last one, and we're, we're bringing it to a close. The last one's probably the biggest reason why we don't pray, even though it's not the most obvious, but it's pride. And here's what I mean by that. All too often, we overestimate the power of ourself. What we're saying without saying it is, no, no, I think I can figure this out. No, 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 I got this. No, 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 I am this little hiccup in the road, but I, I planned for this. No, I, I can do this. I can do this. And it's I, 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 I. And we overestimate the power of our ability to keep doing what we're doing or to somehow figure this out and get out of it. But let me just let Isaiah 57 verse 15 uh, speak to that. Here's what it says. For this is what the high and exalted one says. You know, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. Yeah, that, that high and exalted one. He's talking now. And this is what he says. I live in a high and holy place. But listen, but also with the one who is contrite. The, the, the word contrite literally means to be broken or to be crushed. Something happens and a part of you broke. Something happened and a part of you is just, it literally means ground to powder. Something happened and, and man, you, you, you're just, you, you've come apart at the seams and you don't know how to recover from that. It changes the course of your life. You don't dream like you used to. There's no confidence. You're way more cautious than you used to. Your relationship kind of cooled off and you just drew, you know, safe lines so that we don't battle anymore. But the intimacy and the fun and the romance, that's not there anymore. He's talking about people that are contrite or broken, but notice this, he said, but I'm also with the one who's contrite and lowly in spirit. And the word lowly is on the spectrum, meaning everything from discouraged to exhausted, listen, to embarrassed. I don't want to talk about that. And I, 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 my heart was so set on doing something so well and do right, and I don't know what happened. I don't know, I don't know who I am anymore, man. I just, I'm scrambling, and I, I, I'm not the person I want to be. And you're just embarrassed to even bring it up, maybe to other people, but you're embarrassed to even talk about it in front. You don't even like to confront it. It's so painful that we just live in this denial. But he said, listen to me, God lives in this high and lofty place, but he also lives with the ones who are contrite, who are broken and crushed, and with the ones who are discouraged, and exhausted and embarrassed. And this is why, listen, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Now put very simply, it means you, you can just bet God's in one of two places if you're looking for him. God's either in heaven in this high and exalted position, not, you know, arrogantly just, you know, wielding, but he's ready with all of his authority and all of his power to do what he promised he would do as your heavenly father, or God's right there with you in the situation. God's like, like a parent who realizes, man, that was punishing. Look at him, man, they're hurting so bad, and, they, and he just comes and sits. He just comes in case you're willing to talk to him, in case you're willing to open up. But he's right there in the middle of it with you. But it's consistent throughout the Bible. You'll never find a break. Consistent throughout the Bible that those who will authentically surrender their lives to the Lord, these people have no trouble experiencing the closeness, the encouragement, and the benefits of God because God always, always, always answers prayer. Give me three more minutes to give you some practical things in case you want to develop, start developing a passion for prayer. N- number one, if you're not in a connect group and you haven't grabbed a workbook, I would suggest to do that. 
get, get some discussion going on, you'll find there's lots of Christians going through the same thing. It's like, yeah, I know, I know. I was listening to that message, and man, I'm like, ouch, 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 ouch. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm there. I'm, we're, we're all understanding and growing in this thing. Uh, but grab a workbook. Again, at 10 minutes, you can read through this lesson. There's so many scriptures, and just say, Holy Spirit, walk with me. And just start opening these up and talk and let, let him do something from the inside out. Here's the second one. In every one of these lessons, because they're overview, I'm, I'm taking the time to give you some really quality recommended reading. Most of the books I've read myself. There's a couple that I haven't read, uh, but they come highly recommended from people that I trust, and I've at least perused them to be, to be doubly confident. But there's great recommended reading, and, uh, and that's something else. But, but here's another one, super more practical. This week... Okay, this week, I know it's crazy, I know the schedules, you know, and, and maybe you're one of the contrite people, and man, I'm broken, and I'm exhausted, and, but listen to me, plan for at least three to four times this week to talk to God. Five minutes. Five minutes. Ten minutes. And you say, well, I don't know what to talk about. I'm, I'm going to give you some help, okay? Psalm 103, open it up to the first five verses, and literally just read them and pause and say, Lord, I, I just came to bless you today. I just came to say, in spite of all the craziness in my life, I just want you to know that, that I worship you and I bless you today. And here's why, starting with the fact that you forgave all of my sins. Not like way back when, when I accepted you, but like yesterday, maybe like five minutes ago, that you cleanse me and you wash me and you keep me clean. There's no condemnation in my life ever. Man, I'm so grateful for that. And then you move on to you heal all of my diseases. Lord, we, we, we're not just struggling in physical stuff, but our marriage is in trouble. And my relationship with the rest of my family, we're, we're hurting. And by the way, the healing is for that too. Who redeems my life from destruction? It just goes on and on. It gives you topics of quick conversation. Five minutes. Five minutes. Or, or you can walk down something more familiar, Psalm 23. Lord, I'm so glad that you're my shepherd. So glad that I'm not trying to take care of myself, but you're watching over me. And I don't ever have to be in lack. I don't ever have to worry about, well, what's coming next? You know, because the shepherd's going to provide for me. In fact, today, Lord, I'd love for you to lead me by these cool waters. I just need to be refreshed. I need to lay down in the tall grass for a few minutes and just remind myself how much you care and how much you love me. See, these are conversation starters. And then, of course, there's the one in Matthew chapter 6, starting about in verse 9, and that's the Lord's Prayer. Don't, you, you can just pray the prayer, but pray it with your heart. My Father who lives way up in heaven, hallowed be your name. You're a holy God. Thy kingdom come, Lord, I'm surrendering my life. Whatever you want, whatever your plans are, your will be done in my life. I'll right here on earth, all the way till I get to heaven. And you just walk down and have a conversation. This is how you interact with God because you're saying, well, I don't know what to say. You know, I don't know how to go first. He went first. It's right here. Jump into his conversation, what he already said, and respond to that and see what happens. And the last one Pastor Spencer's already made note of. And by the way, this, this is for some of you veterans in prayer. God's doing something in our church individually and as, as, a, uh, as a body. And I want to encourage you, Friday morning, 6 a.m. Yeah, Spencer's right. You have to love God to get up at 6 a.m. But let me tell you something. You'll never beat him up. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. And uh, it's amazing if you drag yourself out of bed and you get to the table with the Lord within just a short period of time. There's such a refreshing and a strength that you walk away and say, man, I'm so glad I did that. And it becomes addictive. Can't wait to get up the next morning and spend time with God. 6 a.m. right here in the sanctuary. Uh, come and join us for corporate prayer as we begin to believe God together and grow. All right. 
talked a lot about prayer. It's my time to pray for you. Stand to your feet this morning. Do something we don't do very often. Put your arms out in front of you just like this. Heavenly Father, we're not trying to take some religious posture. But Lord, this is a small expression of the surrender that we're offering to you. For some of us, it's what we want to offer. We don't really know how. But Holy Spirit, come and do what you promised you would do. Just take us by the hand and gently lead us into the truth about prayer. Teach us how to make time. Teach us how to put a greater value on this. Encourage us and one another to open these things up to you and in discussion with those that are close to us. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you will stir in us a passion for prayer. And as we openly and authentically share our heart with you, that you will answer and respond in Jesus' name. again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.